Uh, God uh, continues to show his, his goodness in the people that he places in our lives. And um, many of you heard uh, me talk about uh, the five people that have had a huge influence on my life, right? We've talked about that before. Five men that have really impacted my walk. Now, in, in October, we celebrated Pastor Appreciation Month. And many of you, we, you guys brought us up here and you honored us and, uh, as pastors. And, uh, uh, but the, the people that really need to be honored are those people that God placed in our lives early on in my walk. And today, um, he's going to kill me for doing this, but uh, <laughs> he said yes. Uh, Whit Whitaker was uh, one of these brothers that, uh, that God had placed in my life early in my walk, that was formative in my walk with Christ. Uh, many of you know that I, I cut my teeth in ministry in the prisons, and Whit was the one who um, was the one who mentored me through all of that. And it's probably been a dozen or more years since I've seen you face to face. And he just showed up today. And so Wit is in the back. And so if you guys get a chance to talk to Wit and just give him a hug and say, you know, if you appreciate me, you should appreciate Wit because he was the one that he's part of the reason why I'm a pastor today. And so I love you, brother. And I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, yeah. The response from, okay, yeah, uh, oatmeal cookies, oatmeal cookies. That always keeps me from crying. If I say oatmeal cookies, it just makes me happy and it dries up all the tears. <laughs> Try it sometime. It works. I'm telling you. Oatmeal cookies. Oatmeal cookies. <laughs> the response for, uh, from this message series has been overwhelming, and it's been really, really super encouraging. I spoke to a gal in our church who uh, is friends with some people at her work uh, that have many different kind of diverse religious backgrounds. Uh, she, and, and she's just starting to realize that, that what she claims to believe about Jesus has implications for her friends who hold different beliefs. And, and so she's asking all sorts of questions, deep questions about her life and her walk with Jesus and how that can have an impact in the lives of her friends that are around her. Questions like, how could it be possible that one view is greater than another? Is there really only one way, one path to God? Is, there, is, is believing in God enough or does what we believe about Jesus make that much of a difference? As we've been diving deep into the scriptures, uh, the God through the Holy Spirit is convicting the heart of this young lady, and, and I'm sure that he's doing the same for many of you. Maybe you've experienced the moment when you've realized that what you believe about Jesus does have implications for the people that are around you in your life as well. Uh, this is what uh, is addressed in this portion of John's letter that we come to today. But before digging into it, I want to take a moment just to kind of remind ourselves of the journey that we've been on for the last few weeks. We've been looking at this simple letter from the Apostle John in 1 John. And, and he has sent this letter around to the churches about 50 years after Jesus lived and, and rose from the dead. He died and rose from the dead and ascended to the Father. The, the, the basic premise of this letter is simple. Either you are living the life that God wants you to have or you are not. And that's basically what he's talking about. You're either walking in the light, living a deep life of faith that is made possible through Jesus or you're not. Right from the beginning of the letter uh, in chapter 1, John connects this life with Jesus. He writes this. He says, the life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. 
And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and, was, and has appeared to us, speaking of Jesus. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Many of his readers uh, were, were two or three generations removed from the historical Jesus, and they, were, they began to question their faith. They'd also begin to question, uh, are they living the life that God is calling us to? And why should we do that? Right? And so John writes, and he suggests that there's three tests that anyone could apply to their life to determine whether or not they are really leave, living a deep, faithful life, one that would bring honor and glory to God and good to others around them. And so the first test is an ethical test. For the past few weeks, we've been drilling down into this one question. How are you to live? How do you live this life of Christ? Have you experienced the deep cleansing that we've experienced this morning? People confessing their faith and being forgiven of their sins and being baptized and, and, and tapping it and, and being filled with the Spirit so they can have a fresh start in life. Are you experiencing deep cleansing? Are you experiencing a deep walk? Are you living a life that can bring glory to God, a life of obedience or not? And do you have a deep desire, a desire to love the, go the goodness of God and, and, not, and start repenting of, of loving the things of the world? Are you living this deep, deep walk? The second question is the relational test. The, the second test is the relational test. Who, how do you love and who do you love? How do you love? We're going to be talking about this more and more in the coming weeks, uh, but, but uh, we'll, we'll be drilling down into that. How do you love your neighbor? How do you love the people around you? This is one of the tests that John talks about. The third test is a doctrinal test. What do you believe? What do you believe to be true about God, and what do you believe to be true about this world that we live in? That's the test that we're going to learn about today. And we're going to discover that if you want to live a deep life, it must be rooted and grounded in deep truth. The truth, Jesus says, will set us free. We provided you a bulletin insert where you can take some notes. And the first thing I want you to write down is this. A deeper understanding of Jesus is critical to our relationship with God and others. Deep truth has everything to do with our understanding about who Jesus is. At the time that John wrote this letter, there was a church in crisis. The church was in crisis. There were people that were infiltrating the church that were teaching uh, the, the people there and leading them astray from what Jesus taught about himself. And, and the nature of these false teachers are found in these verses. Look at what John writes. He said, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. These things, this is his like, response to these false teachers. These false teachers were denying that Jesus had actually come in the flesh, that God has come in the flesh as he claimed to be. There was a certain brand of teaching at this time that argued that Jesus was really just a person. And then at the time of his baptism, he became inhabited with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit left him right before the crucifixion because, because the nature of God would be tainted, if you will, if, if it had to absorb so much evil. Like God would not lower himself to that, to that beating, if you will, or that, that crucifixion or that cross. This is the, what they were teaching. 
They believe that for God to connect himself with the material world, like human beings and suffering, that somehow diminished his nature. As if, as if coming down to earth was something that was below him and that made him something less than a God. John's reply to this false teaching is clear, it's definitive, and it's filled with deep conviction. Because to abandon Jesus' claims of divinity is to let go of the only real hope for humanity and the possibility of living a life for God. If God, if Jesus was not God, we have no hope. And we're going to learn about that today in, in depth. This is the next thing I want you to write down in your sermon notes. The divine incarnation of Jesus, which means this, God in the flesh is the deep truth that John urges his followers to keep at the very center of their faith and at the core of their lives. We have neighbors all around us with, with many different views about God and about salvation and religion. There's Muslims, there's Hindus, there's atheists, there's agnostics, there's Protestants, and there's Catholics. Just to name a few. Like, like, so what do we do with this particular view of Jesus in a religiously diverse culture? You are surrounded by people who don't believe the same things you do about Jesus and about this world. So what do you do with that when we claim this, this narrow-minded, what people would say, view of God, this God-man named Jesus? How do we continue to hold such a view that puts us at odds with one another with the people around us? Following John's lead here, I want to offer a better way to approach this. Rather than softening our view about the distinctive claims of Jesus, or, or rather than like convincing ourselves to place Jesus as kind of a, a side note to what we do as a church, I believe that we should consider more carefully what the truth is and how, what that really means to us and what it really means to our world. I would suggest that we, that we should discover a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and, and a more beautiful uh, reason, find out a more beautiful reason of the incarnation. And so what I want to do is suggest three things today. I read this quote. I provided it in your notes. It says this, Believing that God came, became a man isn't an exclusive claim intended to put people off. It's actually a generous and loving claim that holds out the best possible hope for humanity and the world. And so just to put some meat around that quote, it's kind of like the big truth that we're going to nail down and, and, and drill down into today. I want to consider three things that why the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God becoming a man, is the best possible hope for humanity and our world. And the first thing is this. It's number three in your notes. Through Jesus, God shows us who he really is. When I was studying this week, I was reading a story about a woman who was uh, on a desperate search to hear from God. And, and so her whole life, she was on this search. Humans have this kind of uh, built-in yearning to know what God is like, so this woman is no different. And I was reading this, she was desperately wanting to, God to reveal himself to her, to speak to her in some way. And so she, she, one weekend she went on this spiritual retreat with a bunch of other seekers, and it was on this beautiful retreat center, on the mountaintop experience, and she's sitting on this vista, looking over this beautiful view, and she goes, man, this must be the moment where God will speak to me. This is just the perfect setting where God will speak to me. And so she waits in anticipation and suddenly she hears a voice and she said, and the voice says, who the heck are you? What I read was a little bit more less PG, <laughs> but you get the idea. 
Who the heck are you? This is the voice that she heard. She was devastated. She walked away broken and defeated. She felt like finally she heard from God and, and what she heard wasn't, what was that he wanted nothing to do with her. She felt like a fool for even entertaining the idea. It was like a, 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 a father who was just too busy because of the things that, uh, the big things that he's doing as he brushes by a kid that is just desperately wanting uh, the attention of a father. And he says, no, who do you think you are? I wonder if, I wonder how many people in our circle of influence or even in our, our, ourselves, or even maybe even here, think that this is the God that we serve. That this is the God of the universe. I wonder how many people think that God is just distant and unapproachable. That he's too busy. He's like that father with the, whose thoughts are so preoccupied with the important things of the world that he brushes by you people who are desperately needing his attention. This is why Jesus came to earth. The God-man Jesus. This is why God sent himself to dwell among us. Jesus' life is recorded for us in the Gospels, and we have this amazing opportunity to see what God is really like because he is not like that at all. Through Jesus' words, we learn what God would say to us. Through his actions, we see what's most important to him. Through his loving relationships, we can know his heart for people. In Christ, we see God is full of love and compassion, ready to forgive and embrace. That's what we experienced this morning. John and Ezella and Daisy are nothing special other than the fact that God laid his life down for them. And he lived a perfect life for them. And accepting that, that Jesus is God and that he loves them, and that he forgives them of all their sin, this is the reason why they want to become members of the body of Christ. Not because God is distant, or angry, or don't have time for you. The fact that Jesus came to earth proves he has time for you. And his life shows you. And it's recorded in the Gospels. And yet we don't open our Bibles to get to know him. Get to know him. In the person of Jesus Christ, God speaks directly. He acts visibly and he shows publicly how he feels about you. How he feels about all of humanity. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. You see, when you grab a hold of this truth that Jesus is God and he and the Father is one, you get to realize that God is revealing himself to you through his son, Jesus. And any other interpretation of who God is is wrong. It's false and it's a lie. Because of my understanding of Jesus, I have never heard God say to me, who the heck do you think you are? What I've heard him say is, I'm willing to come to you, come to earth and storm the gates of hell for you. And stand in your way, in, in, your, in your behalf. And I'm willing to take a cross upon your behalf. I'm willing to live, die, and rise again for you. I'm willing to speak to you. I'm willing to show you who I am. I'm really to, willing to show you my heart. So I'm going to have four people from four different uh, uh, times and spaces to write the same story about me. 
It's a beautiful truth. It's an amazing truth. It is through Jesus, God in the flesh, that God shows us who he really is. The second reason for the incarna- that the incarnation is the best possible hope for humanity and the world is this. Through Jesus, God invites us to be with him. There is a problem with our ability to relate with God, and the problem is, is that God is just. That's not a problem per se. I mean, we would not want to follow a God who is not just, right? I uh, heard some stories. You guys know I, I volunteer for the sheriff department, and, and there's just stories about human trafficking. It, it, is, it is where, where uh, the average age of these young girls that are being trafficked, that are being kidnapped and trafficked, are, are 12 to 14, and, and they are being sold uh, to, for prostitution, and, and, and they're being sold 20, 30 times a day. Six, sometimes seven days a week until they can't even do it anymore. And then they're sold off into other places just to have more babies that those babies can be raised up to be prostitutes. Our hearts should like just scream out at the injustice with God (laughs) who is a just God at some of these things like this. God's justice is a good thing. The problem is this, and listen to this, the problem is this, that if complete justice prevails, eventually the gavel will fall on all of us. On all of us. We, we tend to go to the worst of the worst just to understand God's heart for justice, but, it, but if the gavel, if, if justice was to prevail for all of us, it would fall on all of us. Because we, are, uh, in our own selfishness, and our own sinfulness, has contributed to the, the, the problems of the world, if we're honest. But this is where Jesus comes in again. This is the beauty of where God in the flesh makes all the difference. So you see, as a man, Jesus was not only a person who lived a perfect life, he was also God. Jesus was the only one to be qualified to bear the burden of the sins of humanity because he was God. He knew exactly what it needed to take, and it was him coming to earth. He not only was as a man lived perfectly, but he was a God who could, who could take the burden upon himself. And this is a good truth. He was not only the one who, who, whose sacrifice would be complete, but it would be sufficient. It would be sufficient for you and I. That we can come to him in faith and be accepted back to God. We learned last week that God is both faithful and just to forgive us. The cross made that statement to be true because Jesus was punished enough for your sins and mine. And no more punishment is necessary. All of God's wrath, all of God's anger was poured out upon your Savior so that we can be accepted back into his family. And that's good news. Amen? That is extremely good news. It is on the cross that God's justice was met by by something that he can only offer, divine, unconditional love and forgiveness. Psalm 85 says that the cross, says this about the cross, it's where God's love and justice kiss. Isn't that beautiful? It's where his love and justice, the cross is where God's love and justice kiss. The bridge between God and man has been made possible through Jesus. John sums this up perfectly in chapter 4. Listen to what he says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. 
That's love, isn't it? Love is not superficial. Love is not, not shallow. Love was willing to come and humble himself. And, and, and the God of the universe who spoke all things into existence. Can you imagine this? That nothing existed and then Jesus spoke and everything existed. He spoke and created men and women. The crown and beauty of his creation. He did that. Jesus did that. This God humbled himself and took on flesh, willingly giving up his, his power, his deity, to walk among us. To walk among us. To rescue us from us. Isn't that a beautiful truth? That we may be with him. God makes it possible to be with him through Jesus. The third reason that the incarnation of Jesus is the best possible hope for humanity and the world is this. Through Jesus, God makes the world right again. God makes the world right again. If you, uh, if you do a brief overview of kind of the religions of the world, there are like three major world views of how people uh, uh, view and understand the material world. The first one is that the, that, that the world is just an illusion. That, that this view holds that the goal of the religious life, enlightenment or salvation, has little to do with anything material. Uh, with the material world at all. Rather, this, the goal here is to, like, to disregard the physical realm altogether, getting in touch instead with your spiritual realm. And so enlightenment is, is, is really important. Uh, having knowledge is, is, is really important in this worldview. But, but, for, but for some, this means that the consequences of our physical actions are really meaningless. So feel free to do whatever you want in the flesh because it's not going to live on, so who cares? Sounds super appealing, right? That I can be spiritual and do whatever the heck I want. So I can smoke weed and have sex with all the women I want. I can, I can do whatever I want because this physical body, it doesn't matter. I can eat all the food I want. I don't have to care for myself. It's kind of appealing, this brand of, of understanding. But it's just not true. It's Gnosticism. We've been talking about that in the last few weeks. Gnosticism is a word that we never hear, but it was this belief system that all this life is, all that you should focus on is the spiritual realm. You should want that. But, and everything else that you do with your physical body doesn't matter. We, we don't use the word Gnosticism, but you can see that that's true in our culture today. People want spiritual enlightenment, and they want their cake, and they eat it too, don't they? The second view uh, is that the material world is bad. This view holds, the, holds that the goal of religious life is to withdraw from the world because there's no hope found here. Like the world is on a path to destruction and to be entangled with these things uh, and to be in that would be tainted by the evil that is causing its destruction. And so just withdraw from it completely, right? And, 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 and just stay away from it and, and focus on your spiritual life and the afterlife, right? And so this is that view. The third way to view the material world is the way that Jesus views it. Somebody say Amen. And the way John describes it here, this view holds that the material world is good. It was created by God to be a place where God's glory would be put on display. The heavens and the earth declare the glory of God, the psalmist would say, right? And that, and that uh, well, Paul would say that God has revealed himself through creation, right? And so this is the, the biblical worldview of, of, of the world today. The beauty and the joy and the relationships that are possible indicate the goodness of the one who created all of it. And this is the good news. 
This is the worldview that we should have as Christians. John wrote this in 1 John 2.24. We read this in our opening scriptures today. Let what you have heard from the beginning, think Genesis, abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and the Father. Is that all I got? Nope. All right. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. You see his purpose for writing? But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, his anointing is his word. It's his, it's his illuminated word that God has opened your eyes to the truth. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it was taught to you, abide in him. Abide in Jesus. And then he says, and now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, he may, uh, we may have confidence and not shrink from the shame that is from, in, from him in shame at, at his coming, at his return. You see, Jesus isn't abandoning earth. He's actually going to return to it and establish his kingdom. And so he concludes and says, if you know that he is righteous, that Jesus is the right way, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness, embraces this, and does what God is calling us to do, has been born of him. You see, true understanding of who God is and, and, and the material world comes from being born again. It comes from having, having that exchange that we just talked about earlier happen in your life where you put your faith in him. The Bible says that, the, that those who put their faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes and lives and abides in him and opens up your heart and your eyes and your mind to the truth. And Jesus says the truth will set you free. Our salvation comes with a deep appreciation of God's creation. And we should steward it well. And it also comes with the call to engage the world in ways that would align it, us up it, with God's intended purposes for the world. But the truth is, is that as we look at the world, it's hard not to bump up against to problems. And, 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 and go, God, where are you in all of this? We talk about accidents happening all the time, right? The weather is just nuts. Like, what's going on? There, there's like floods everywhere and volcanoes erupting and there's just all this stuff going on that makes us question, God, are, are, where are you at in all this? Sicknesses threaten our lives as human beings. Violence and oppression cause people to be displaced and even worse. There's toil and hard labor and the frustration of limited resources. Can you imagine we live in the United States of America and, and, and teachers still have to buy their own supplies? For school? What's going on, God? This is your world. What's going on? But once again, Jesus enters into the picture. And he's not afraid to enter the world fully as God and as a human, getting his hands dirty. You see, Jesus doesn't shy away from it or, or like it's some physical, like the world's some illusion. Here's what he does. He takes broken things and he makes them, he fixes them. He, he goes to, to people who can't walk, and he, he blesses them, prays over them, and they walk. The blind get sight. The stomachs that are growling with hunger, he begins to feed. What we discover through, that, that through Jesus, God is working to bring things together, all the things together that sin has broken. 
that Jesus demonstrates this through his life in order to make the whole world right again. He is the source of that. Write this down in your sermon notes, the last one that you could take with you to community group. Through the work of Jesus, God is not throwing away creation. He's redeeming it. This is good news, right? He's redeeming it. He's not disposing of his creation. In Christ, he's liberating the world from the hold of sin and death. And, and the message of the gospel is that God is, is going to do with the entire world what he did with Jesus at Easter. He's going to raise it up and redeem it. You see, Jesus' physical resurrection assures us that the new creation is indeed underway. And he starts with you. This is why Jesus calls us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right now. Are we praying that prayer? God, I want your will to be done through me. Through me. Christ, in Christ, God is bringing everything back together. The restoration that Jesus can do in a human heart, forgiveness of sin, have implications on the physical world. Izella, Daisy, John, and every Christian, you have been saved from something to something. And God is asking you to join in his restoration of the world. You don't just come here, get dunked, and then just go live life like a Gnostic. Doing what you want because you got the spiritual checkbox. I checked the box, I got baptized, I must be saved. And then I'm just going to look back at the day that I was up there on the stage and got wet. And, and, and we all celebrated. No, 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 no. You have been saved from something, from you, to him. To join in to the work that he is doing. Jesus is restoring all of creation. And once again, he wants us to fully cooperate with that and join him in that wonderful work. He's inviting us to be a part of it. Isn't that wonderful? Now think about that just for a second. The God of creation who spoke all things into existence. He even spoke humanity, the crown of creation. Sin comes in and destroys everything God is doing. And he's going, okay, I'm going to come in. I'm not going to give them what they deserve. I'm actually going to save them. And then I'm going to invite them into an amazing work of, res of restoration. That the world is going to be renewed through the church. Preaching this gospel. Telling people about Jesus. And then actually being the hands and feet of Jesus. Feeding the hungry, clothing the sick, giving sight to the blind. Lame people walking. How are you involved in the church? How are you living out and being part of the restoration of the world? Are you loving people this deeply? It brings us back to that question that we raised earlier. What do we do when we realize that we believe something very different than what the other people believe around us? What do we do when people misunderstand and misconstrue the, 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 uh, 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 who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's going to do? Again, I want to suggest that if you love people around you deeply, then you're going to show them the beauty and the goodness of Jesus Christ. I told you this before, that, but uh, there's an atheist named Penn Gillette. You know Penn and Teller, right? If you, if you Google him uh, talking about uh, uh, Christians, he, he, there's a one uh, a video that says, he said, uh, he goes, he was at a show and he was doing this show and then after the show he does all these little autographs and he signs and they throw things out in the audience and one guy, was, they come back and they sign and, and he said that there was one particular man, he waited there the whole time and he was very patient, very kind and this man just stuck out to him and this man handed him a Bible 
and, and he, he said, now I'm an atheist, I don't believe in, in, in religion or, 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 or organized religion at all, but, but I, I was very convicted that, that this man believed what he, what he said he believed. And then he raised this question, he says, if you believe uh, what is true about Jesus, that he is the only way to heaven, and that without faith in Jesus, that people will perish and go to hell, he asked this question, he goes, how much do you have to hate your neighbor? not to tell them about Jesus. How much do you have to hate your neighbor to not want to warn them about Jesus? Do you remember in uh, 2010 the Chilean miners that got stuck in the uh, a half mile down underground and confined in darkness for 69 days. Do you remember that in 2001? It was all over the news. Like everybody was going crazy over it. The world was like watching in amazement as these miners were lifted to safety through that little 36 inch passageway and that capsule that they made to, to, to bring down into the shaft, right? One by one, each miner made his journey up that pathway uh, to their salvation, to their physical salvation. Imagine if you were the leader of those 33 trapped miners and for months you're trying to find a way of escape and you can't find it. You're just lost. You're done for. And all of a sudden you see like this crack open up in, in, in where you're at. And you're just like, whoa, there's something coming. Uh, and, and this capsule will come down and it open up and it fits a man. And, and the person gets in, goes all the way up, and they, they climb up a half-mile shaft, and they come out to the, to the sunshine on their face for the first time in 69 days. Now imagine this. How would you feel if someone began to spread some stories to your friends that that, that rescue capsule was just unreliable? No, I, I wouldn't trust it. No, no. You've been there 69 Maybe you should wait a little longer. What about if they said, you know, hey, that escape route is unimpressive and it's kind of unbelievable. Uh, yeah, you probably shouldn't try it. You should wait for a better sign. No, you would be out there trying to persuade everybody that this is a good way. I've seen people be saved through this capsule and I know this thing for sure, that this one leads to a certain rescue. We have Jesus. We have the certain rescue. You might be surrounded with people that don't believe the th same things that you do. You might be in this room right now and you don't believe, you believe other things. I'm telling you, Jesus is the certain rescue. He is the only way to heaven. He's the one that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father, no one, except through me. That is a strong statement to be, make, to be making. And the only one who can make that statement is God. Jesus, God in the flesh. What do you do when your friends challenge your belief about who Jesus is? Especially when we understand more fully the rescue he provides, not just for us, but for all of humanity. What do we do? We love them by telling them the truth about Jesus. And maybe you just don't know the truth about Jesus. Maybe you, that, that's the goal for you in 2020, is to get to know Jesus a whole lot more. This is less about religion, less about attendance in the church, less about, less about money in the plate. This is about your relationship with the Savior God who came to save you. You should get to know him. We can get to know Jesus better and describe him more carefully and clearly with the people that God has placed in our lives. And this can have an eternal impact on their lives. We can let our love and our goodness gain us a voice that can give us a testimony through our lives and through our words about who he is and what he's done. We don't live like Gnostics. We live a life that, that would bring glory to God and good to others. 
I mean, love and forgiveness and mercy and generosity should be pouring out as a testimony of God's love and generosity and, and mercy that he's poured out on us. We should be the first to forgive as Christians, but not passively. I forgive you because I believe that the cross was enough for your sin and for mine. And so I don't have to punish you any longer for my sin. Oh God, when the church starts doing that, crazy things happen. God begins to move. We can stop fighting inside the church. I mean, that's our, that's our aim. We want to go deeper in our knowledge of God this year. We want to go deeper in our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We want to go deeper in prayer. We want to go deeper in our Christ-likeness so that our witness can give testimony to who God is. But we also want to go closer to one another and, and strengthen relationships in this church because you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to get us fighting with each other. And if there's division in the church, this is what Satan has come to do, is to kill, steal, and destroy. And when there's division in the church, and we can't even get along... Why is there any hope for anybody else? But if we can get along in here and we can grow stronger in our relationship with God and with one another, God begins to move powerfully. And then we can reach wider this year to extend that same love and truth about Jesus with those people that God has placed in our life. And it becomes believable because you're living it. You're living it and you're allowing Jesus' life to impact you in such a way that you just can't help but give it out. Some of us say, you know what, I can't be a witness to Jesus, man, because my life is just in shambles. And it just doesn't give a, a good witness to Jesus. Well, God has given you the power through His Spirit to overcome your sin. And listen, <laughs> frankly, the Holy Spirit, we call Him the, the, the shy member of the Trinity that points the, the spotlight off of you and points it right on Jesus. Your sin only makes God that much better. And so you could be even thankful for your sin today because it reminds you of, of the cross. It reminds you of what God did for you because that sin that you're struggling with right now, right now, Jesus died for it so that you can be accepted. And then he wants to fill you with the Spirit and the power to overcome it, and he'll do that for you right now. And that is the witness that we need to share. We don't need to share that we're nice people. A lot of you ain't nice. I know you. I'm just teasing we want to share that we are new people. That we are people that God has washed and cleansed with His blood. That He is filled with the Spirit. And that we're walk, walking in step with the Spirit. And they need them too. A lot of people can, can be nice. And there's a lot of nice people in the world. There really is. But a lot of nice people are going to go to hell without Jesus. And that is a travesty. And it is not God's heart for the church. And so be filled with His Spirit. Go deeper in your knowledge of Jesus this year. Grow closer together in relationships with one another and reach wider that more people can come to know this Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for the grace that you've given us again to be here and to hear more about Jesus. Jesus, you are...